Welcome to The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I want to take a second look at a book by Nancy Piercy called Love Thy Body. And uh, this is a powerful book. It's a book that you don't read quickly, but it just has so much good information page after page. I want to look at her opening chapter called I Hate Me. Uh, she starts off actually taking you back to her introduction in which she talks about what's going on with the secular moral revolution in today's society. And she said, you got to look at the underlying worldview. And I think that is so important. You know, I think Christians oftentimes look at things like same-sex marriage, homosexuality, transgenderism, and they see these almost like individual issues that they must isolate and, and talk to and interact with and struggle with, rather than looking further and getting the big picture and seeing that these are worldview issues. And she says, if you need to look at something called the two-story, two, I'm going to see if I say that right. Uh, yeah, look at the two-story division. And what she means by that, she has you go back to the introduction. And that's where she mentioned Francis Schaeffer, the great Christian um, theologian and apologist. And he talked about what's gone on with what used to be a unified concept of truth and the way it's just been blown apart. And he uses a metaphor of, a, of two stories in a building. Okay, so you need to kind of picture that. And the lower, lower story is empirical science. That's objectively true. It's testable. You can put it in a test tube. And the upper story is a realm of morality and theology. That's private, that's subjective, and that's relative. And that's where you hear the thing about, well, that could be true for you, but not for me. So truth has been split. You've got science on the bottom, uh, facts on the bottom, whatever you want to call it. On the top, you've got theology, you've got morality, and that's private and that's subjective. Sometimes it's called the fact-value split. So on the bottom, first floor are the facts, valid for everybody, it's objective, we all agree, 2 plus 2 is 4, that kind of stuff. And on the second floor are the values, and that's the private subjective things where we get our morality. So now, based on that, Here's what she says. you got to get down to the worldview that drives it. She said, we have to understand that two-story division. And she said, when you do, when you picture that, then you see how dehumanized the worldview is at the heart of things like abortion, assisted suicide, homosexuality, transgenderism, and the hookup culture. So she covers in the chapter I'm dealing with kind of an overview of the most salient uh, moral issues that she wants to talk about throughout the book. So she said, here's an example of what I'm talking about, this split, this body-slash-person split that's going on today, is through an example. She says, there's an article that appeared a few years ago, I guess, by a British broadcaster. She talked about herself as a liberal feminist. She'd always been pro-choice. Oh, but then she became pregnant with her own baby, and then she started struggling. And these are quotes from her. I was calling the life inside me a baby because I wanted it. Yet if I hadn't, I would think of it as just a group of cells that was okay to kill. That seemed irrational to me, maybe even immoral. Babies in the womb don't qualify as human if somebody wants them. Only if someone wants them. So this woman has run up against that wall of reality and didn't fit her ideology. So she even began doing some research. And finally she said this, in the end... I have to agree that life begins at conception. So, yes, abortion is ending that life. But she added this. 
But perhaps the fact of life isn't what's important. It's whether that life has grown enough to start becoming a person. Do you hear that? So what happened to that concept of a human being? It's been split into two. If the baby is human life from conception, but not a person until sometime later, which is what that woman was saying, then they must be two different things. So again, can you picture that two-story split? At the bottom, you have a body. That'd be that baby. But then on the upper floor, you've got the person. And the person has the moral and legal standing, but the body doesn't. So can you see that? That's a really fragmented, dualistic view of the human being. She says what happened was in 1973, Roe v. Wade, that abortion decision, that ruled that even though the baby in the womb is human, it's not a person under the 14th Amendment. So now we got a new category that Piercy points out. We have a new category of an individual. It's a human non-person. Isn't that something? So in the early stages, that fetus is in the lower story. It's, it's human. It's human, but it doesn't have any moral standing. It doesn't warrant any kind of protection. And then later, at some undefined point in time, of course, this is really tricky, when does it happen? But somehow it jumps to that upper story and becomes a person. They call that the personhood theory. And so the whole implication of this, of course, is that if you're human, that's not enough to qualify you for rights. Now, if you favor abortion, what you're saying is that in the early stages of life, an unborn baby has so little value, you can kill it for any reason that you want without any moral consequence. That's a very low view of life. And then by sheer logic, you have to say, hmm, at some time it jumps up to that second floor and becomes a person, and then it'd be a crime to kill it. So that personhood theory, she points out, presumes a very low view of the human body. It dehumanizes all of us. So that's the assumption, though, that she says is driving all sorts of secular views on euthanasia and sexuality and homosexuality and transgenderism and other ethical issues. So she says the Christian view is dualistic. It says we have a body and we have a soul. So we're split between matter and spirit, but they interact with each other, but they can't be reduced to the other. And we hold that that body and soul together form an integrated unity. So we are embodied souls, all of us. And by contrast, personhood theory says, no, it's a split. It's the body against the person, like they're two separate things, just kind of stuck together, and that's not the Christian view. She says for a long time, Western culture, uh, you know, emphasized the Christian view, but that's gone. And she said, um, we get this purpose-driven view for humans. The Christian view is that we're, we have a purpose. There's no dichotomy between the body and the person. We're, we're together. We're formed into an integrated psychophysical unity. We respect. We honor our bodies. That's part of the revelation of God's purpose for our lives. That's part of declaring the glory of God. Our physical structure, our bodies, reveal clues to our personal identity. So what happened? How did the West lose this view, this positive view of the body? And she says, well, the turning point was probably Darwin in 1859, publishing his theory of evolution. He wanted to show that structures that look like they have a purpose, they're really just the result of blind, undirected forces. So if nature's not the handiwork of God, which is, of course, what Darwin was saying, if it's no longer bearing signs of God's purposes for us, then it's no longer a basis for moral truths. It's just a machine, just running along. 
And now, if nature doesn't reveal God's will, then it's morally neutral realm, and people can impose their will. And because the human body is part of nature, it's demoted to the level of just an amoral mechanism. It's subject to the will of the person, of the self. So the body has no purpose, is not built in by God, then all that matters are human purposes. So what's the body? It's just a clump of matter, just atoms and molecules, pretty much the same thing. It's raw material that gets manipulated and controlled to serve the human agenda. So we think of, uh, I like this point here, she says, you know, we think, think of materialism as a philosophy that places high value on the material world because it claims matters all that exists. But she says, you know, ironically, in reality, materialism puts a low value on the material world. It's just particles in motion. They don't have any purpose. They don't have any meaning. Well, she says, uh, now that we've got genetics and DNA having many advances, all professional bioethicists agree that life does begin at conception. But it's been devalued, hasn't it, according to Percy? It's just raw material. You can deploy it for whatever propaganda purposes and uh, pragmatic, she says, pragmatic benefits that we get from it. So the fetus is just a piece of matter, and you can toss it out if you want to with other medical garbage. That's a shocking thing, isn't it? But that's what we see. The baby, she says, today, in today's viewpoint, the baby has to earn the status of personhood by achieving some kind of level of cognitive function. In other words, to become conscious, to be self-aware, autonomous, etc. But she says it's interesting that these bioethicists that make such a big deal about this personhood theory, they claim to be scientific, but the theory has zero scientific support. There's no scientific evidence of some kind of transformation from just a human clump of cells into a person with uh, inviolable right to life. There's no evidence there's such a transformation. There's no single dramatic turning point that can be detected. Embryonic development is a continuous process. But she says, contrast that to the Christian worldview. Everybody who is human is also a person. The two can't be separated. And this actually avoids the radical devaluation of human life. Isn't that something? So the people that go around talking as materialists, they're the ones that are demeaning and uh, demoting the human body, not the Christians. So she gives an example. What about euthanasia? What does that do? Well, remember, we have that body-person split. So if you're in the bottom part of that two-story building, you're the, you're biologically part of the human race, but that's not morally relevant. Individuals have to earn their status of personhood. So if you don't make the grade, you're demoted to a non-person. A non-person is just a body, a disposable part of matter, piece of matter, just a natural resource. You could research them. You could harvest organs, use them for utilitarian purposes. And she said, no, we have to stand against this culture of death. We have to accept that all humans are also persons. And now she does a separate chapter on euthanasia. How about this? What about sexuality, she says? Here's another area. Well, remember, go back to that two-story worldview. If the body is separate from the person, then what you do with your body sexually doesn't have to have any connection to who you are as a whole person. So sex can be just physical, separated from love. And that's pretty bleak. She said there's a video put out by the Children's Television Workshop used in a lot of sex ed classes. Here's how it defines sexual relations. Something done by two adults to give each other pleasure. 
she says, notice there's no mention of marriage or family or even love or commitment. There's no hint even that sex has some kind of richer purpose than just sensual gratification. So she says, the, here's the catch though, no matter what that philosophy tells them, people can't dissociate their emotions from what they do with their bodies. The biblical worldview, as she points out, in, in that sexuality is integrated into the total person. So the physical union that two people get is meant to express the most complete and intimate personal union of marriage. So biblical morality is teleological. It's got a purpose. The purpose of sex is what? Is to express the one flesh covenant bond of marriage. So she says the loving way to treat young people is not to hand out contraceptives. That's, again, being very impersonal about the body. She says it's far more loving to inspire them with a higher view of sexuality. And I want to just stop at that point there because I think that's so good. She says it's far more loving to inspire them with a higher level of sexuality. I love that phrase, it's far more loving. You know, I think over and over we Christians tell people, well, here's what the Bible says and you need to obey it because it's in the Bible. Yeah, that's true, but why is it in the Bible? It's there because it's better for us physically and psychologically, morally, whatever it is. And so when we're sharing with people who don't believe our perspective on the Bible, we can say, Yes, but what's best for individuals? We all want what's best for individuals. And so when we argue against transgenderism, for example, it's not that we hate transgenders. In fact, it's that we it's far more loving to get them to see the problems that they're uh, dealing with and how to fix that problem. So um, you know what I think I'll do is I'll stop here because it's a long chapter, but it's worth coming back to it because I think it's so important. But it comes back to... The key thing that she talks about here is that two-story value split from facts. We got facts on the bottom, we got values on the top, and and we're being split into those two sections. Whereas Christianity says those two are actually one. So that's a major distinction. Okay, again, the book is called "Love Thy Body." Nancy Pierce is the author, a uh, wonderful writer, very clear, and uh, she does a lot of research in her work. And I'm always happy to recommend her works. All of them. She writes some amazing things. Well, thanks for being part of this podcast. And I hope you're having a good day. And uh, let's do another one soon.